From the rugged desert outside Yuma, Arizona, this is Outpost Outspoken. Outpost Outspoken is the official podcast of U.S. Army Yuma Proving Ground, which conducts natural environment testing of military equipment in Arizona, Alaska, and the tropics. Hello, I'm Mark Schauer. Developmental testing of military equipment is Yuma Proving Ground's primary mission, but the post also hosts training for soldiers, Marines, and civilian law enforcement. Luis Arroyo, who retired from uniform as Sergeant Major of the Military Freefall School at YPG, is today Chief of the Training and Exercise Management Office. Luis, thanks for being here today. YPG is the busiest test center within the Army Test and Evaluation Command, but how much training do we do? Believe it or not, even though it is the busiest test center, uh, there's still room on the range to do other activities. As for our primary purpose is to support tests, the way we support tests is to ensure that the units that come out here to train are transparent to and non-conflicting with test operations. And on a yearly basis, you'll see anywhere between 35 to 45 uh, training units come through here, anywhere from between 3,500 and 4,500 warfighters coming through the installation. Most of the people won't notice it, won't see it, because that's how we execute our mission, is to make sure that these things are generally transparent. How, how do you manage to find the efficiencies to allow these training units to do their activities while test is in progress? It's understanding the operating environment here in YPG, operating the tempo in each one of the range, being Kofa or Cibola, understanding uh, what potential capabilities, uh, areas of lesser use may have. We, we set the, uh, the stage and the conditions for successful uh, execution, but sometimes we tell the customers that, uh, that probably is better done at other installations uh, other than YPG. Now some of these training exercises that we do support though, they're complex, multi-day events with numerous ground and air elements participating. Right now we have a Marine Corps Infantry Battalion assembling on Fab Laguna. So by the end of, uh, by Monday morning, people have gone to, war, uh, to home over the weekend. Fab Laguna is quiet. When they show up Monday morning, they'll see a lot of Marines out of Fab Laguna. And uh, that is a, uh, uh, a complex operation because uh, the number, number of ranges, live fires, events off the installation they are supporting. And our office takes care of making sure that everything is synchronized and that there, there is no effect to test missions to the, to the best of our abilities. And I think we've been fairly successful at that, not having to uh, end up test mission being canceled because a training unit wasn't the way. It's, it's counterintuitive, but the fact that YPG is not primarily a training range gives you some flexibilities when, when a unit wants to come here to train, right? Everything on YPG is a test uh, range. Our office follow all the guidance and procedures uh, in accordance to Army Regulation 385-63, which is range safety, and all the publications within the same uh, family of, of range safety publications. And what we have done, we condition certain areas within the test range. To look like, smell like, or sound like, it would be a standard range on the Mother Army or the Mother Marine Corps. That way we can reduce the errors of uh, users if they were absent of things that they will encounter in their installation. Like for example, GP position, GP gun positions here in YPG, unless you know that project and you are at that site, there's, there's really nothing that tells you, you know, left limit, right limit, 
it's all done by little stakes and geodetic surveys and that's just test operations. But when you have a uh, infantry company or infantry platoon at a range, you want to make sure those weapons uh, effects are oriented in the right direction. There's a standard Army slash Marine Corps professional education to be able to make these things happen safely. YPG is a very well-appointed, well-equipped forward operating base and you used it to support troops that were here for Project Convergence 21 and a lot of upgrades were made to the FOB at that time, weren't they? They did. Segway, uh, why we support training units at YPG. So take the training units to be our practice model, to be uh, capable of supporting events like operational test command missions or Project Convergence. So really, we're here to support test. In the meantime, we're supporting training units to maintain our proficiency in managing a complex operations like that. Project Convergence was uh, straight our center line to be able to build the camp, uh, operate the camp, set the conditions for the customers, the number of customers that were operating camp, and foresee uh, requirements, set expectations of what we're able to uh, meet, and uh, holding our own feet to the fire. Because when we say this is what we're going to do, this is, this, this is exactly what we're going to deliver. For Project Convergence 21, uh, we did some substantial electrical upgrades to Faba Laguna, and, and those were done with the hands and shoulders of the team of personnel and other, uh, other couple of people assisted us. And it was a great team building event. It was almost transparent. The guys, the Project Convergence 21 showed up and they just plugged into the wall and it was like, oh great, there's a plug in there. You've also hosted civilian law enforcement agencies from time to time for training too. We have. There is uh, some of the federal, state, and local law enforcement coming and do a training. Working dogs, um, a number of things. You know, we even had at one time the uh, correctional facility from Blythe come all the way down here to do some training because they said that they still got a they still got a lot more done here without having to vacate sail uh, pods uh, so they can do their own training because they didn't want to be observed by the uh, inmates. And they came out here for a few days and they said they, they, a lot of instructions were gone and they were able to do uh, a lot of training uh, where we're down here. And you have infrastructure to support the training, mock villages, mock compounds. So sadly to say the military working dog mission as we knew it in YPG has come to an end. Uh, the Army and the Marine Corps divested generally from the uh, IED search dogs. Uh, they, they still maintain a military working dog capability generally for uh, either military police uh, activities or for the Army, they mine detection dogs. So, and, and we still support military working dogs. It's not as a schoolhouse that, like we used to support before. It's now operational units coming through here. Uh, the reason I'm saying about the military working dogs because there was a lot of infrastructure developments made in support of military working dogs, but when we made those developments, again, we were not specifically addressing, uh, solely addressing the military working dogs because we knew that at the end of the day, those facilities will remain after the departure, and uh, we, we need to make sure they're good for something else. And even before that, we had test, test events using our villages and um, you name it, from ground-mounted system, uh, uh, vehicle systems, UAVs, soldier systems, uh, they, they have tested on YPG, on, on our villages. 
Luis Arroyo, thanks for being here today. Thank you, Mark. Welcome back to Outpost Outspoken. I'm your host for this segment, Anna Henderson. Ron Van Wy is the Installation Director of Safety at Yuma Proving Ground. He's been with YPG for 14 years, and outside of his very important job at YPG, he has a hobby of restoring and owning classic vehicles. Ron, tell me about the newest addition to your collection of cars. I recently purchased a 1926 Ford Model T Ford Depot hack truck. I brought it in from Missouri and I uh, did some finishing touches on it and I've recently been taking it to car shows around uh, midnight at the Oasis and recently took it to Imperial California where we won first place in best of show. Describe this car. Well it was made in 1926 of course. We restored it to original condition. Uh, it's, it's a lot of wood. It's black uh, metal. It has a, a four-cylinder 201 engine in it. We had wood tires, wood spoke tires with rubber, and it um, it's kind of like a little delivery type truck. So it's the kind of car that you would see if you're watching an old time movie. Like a mobster type movie, yeah, like an FBI type of movie back in the day. It um, It's kind of like a truck that would, would be made for to deliver people to and from hotels or actually were also used as paddy wagons. It's a, a very unique truck and you don't see very many of them. Like I said, it's 96 years old. And so it took a lot of time and a lot of money to put it together, but it's a, a piece of history that I don't think I will soon get rid of. What other type of cars have you restored? Um, I've restored a 1963 Ford F100, a 1971 Chevy uh, C10, a 1980 Chevy square body, a 1968 Corvette, been, been quite a few. I'm looking right now currently for a 1950 Ford shoebox, which is like a two-door coupe. So that's my next goal is to, to find one of those. And what is it about collecting and restoring vehicles that you enjoy? Uh, it's just able to take your mind off of things that, uh, you know, in life, things get crazy and hectic. And it's just a way to ease yourself and just something that's just different and, and relaxing. Something my wife and I can do together and we get to travel together and, and go see other different car shows. Um, we have some shows coming up. We're going to be going to um, Brawley, California and to Scottsdale, Arizona. And then a big one at the end of April, we're going to go to Kingman, Arizona, which is a big Route 66 car show. And there's a, probably about a thousand cars that are signed up for that show. And so we're looking forward to that one as well. What do you hear from the people that, you know, that are walking by the various cars that you take to the shows? It varies. I mean, I get a lot of, a lot of comments, a lot of people that are, oh my gosh, it's, it's amazing. And oh, you're going to win for sure. And it's, I get pumped up and then, you know, I, I've, we've won some, we've lost some. Um, but I, I always feel we're, we're winning because just the people that come up and talk about when they were kids, they used to ride in one or my dad had one or I get to sit there and hear some stories from folks that actually lived in the era when, when these cars were built. And it's just amazing to hear some of the stories. And I get to tell some of the stories of uh, how, I, how I obtained this vehicle and some of the work that I've done to it. So it, it's just a great part of history and, and, and get to learn about history. There's something about cars that always bring back memories. I think, like I still remember what kind of cars my grandparents owned. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention about your cars and your hobby? No, I just encourage anybody who has the opportunity to ever get a chance to partake in car shows or rebuilding or restoring to do it because it's, you know, life is short and it's something that the passion and you get to meet a lot of great people and, and hear a lot of great history, a lot of great stories you might not ever get a chance to hear. Well, Ron, it was great chatting with you. Thank you for keeping our workforce safe. And it was great to hear about your hobby. Thank you. I appreciate your time as well. And I appreciate everything you do for us.
This has been Outpost Outspoken. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time from the Army's busiest test center. Thank you.